Well, this week, James continues his theme on growing in our faith and our relationship with God. But instead of talking about trials, he talks about growing in our faith through action. One of my favorite TV moments of all time was when Peter Jennings interviewed John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Movement. And John Wimber used to be a uh, Hollywood rock producer. I think he was a producer for the Righteous Brothers back in the 60s. But eventually, John Wimber came to know Jesus Christ as the Savior. And John went to church, okay, there in Hollywood. And he enjoyed everything. He enjoyed the fellowship. He enjoyed the prayer. He enjoyed the music. It was all good. So he walks up to one of the elders in the church, and he says, you know, hey, man, what are we going to do the stuff? And then the elder's like, what are you talking about? And then John's like, you know, you know, the stuff, you know, the, the healing the people, the miracles, the feeding people, whatever. And the elder's just like, well, we don't really do that stuff. I mean, we, we talk about it and we pray about it. We hope it comes true, but we don't really do that. And John Wimber was livid. He was upset. And here's what he says in the interview. He says, why aren't we doing the stuff? I gave up drugs for this. I gave up my career for this. When I worked for the devil, I did the devil's stuff. But now that I work for Jesus, I want to do the stuff that he wants me to do. What we will be seeing in our passage today is that James is calling us to continue growing in our faith through doing the stuff that God has commanded for us to do. So if you have your copy of God's Word, please turn with me to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Oh, and the kids can be dismissed. Sorry about that. (laughs) There you go. I thought they wanted to listen to me, but oh well. Well, hey, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27 say this. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. He says this in verses 22 through 25. He says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And he says this in verses 26 through 27. That's for later. There we go. Okay. He says this, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll illumine your word, open our eyes, and open our hearts, and open our minds to the things that you want us to hear today, Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So just to contextualize this passage a little bit, in the preceding 18 verses, James has just described that trials are a good thing in the Christian life and how God is using those trials in your life to achieve his purposes. The main purpose is being our sanctification, our spiritual growth. And he says this in verses 19 through 21, My dear brothers and sisters, take note. 
Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So after his discussion on trials, James James moves into a new thought that we should toss away our anger because it runs contrary to what God is trying to do within us to make us righteous. He says, be quick to listen, then slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And as Americans, we're not used to that. We have to insert our opinion into everything. We want the whole world to know what we think. We want the whole world to know why we won't listen. If someone disagrees with us on something, we don't care to hear it out. We want to talk over people, and we're quick to get angry. Why? Because it's just how we're fashioned as a culture. We're a shoot first and ask questions later kind of culture. And you know what? That kind of attitude has crept into the church. And I think that kind of attitude is probably what James is trying to react against here. But James exhorts us by saying, you know what? That anger within you, that's not what God wants. It's plain and simple. And I think sometimes we'll justify ourselves, our anger, by saying that I have righteous anger. Now, don't get me wrong. I see things on TV that make me angry all the time. I see abusive fathers. I see abusive husbands. I see terrorists. I see thieves. I see racists who take guns into church and take innocent lives. I see people doing bad things, and my anger is grounded in God's sense of justice. But 97% of the time we get angry, it's because we don't get our way or because somebody holds a position differently than we do, and it makes us visibly livid and angry. But James says that anger is moral filth and it's evil. Now you might say, you know, it's really okay to be angry. At least you're not hurting anybody. But you know what Jesus says? He says, whoever is angry with his brother Let him be accursed. So yes, your anger hurts people. It hurts your spiritual life. It hurts your relationship with God. Being quick to speak and quick to react in anger is a sign that you're not growing in your faith. It's a sign that you're not growing in the peace of the Spirit. And as a result, you are inhibiting the work that God is trying to accomplish within you through His Spirit. And that's why James says, humbly accept the word planted within you, which can save you. Because when you're holding on to sin, you're not holding on to the gospel. Why? Because the gospel says that God has given you his spirit to grow you. And when you deny the power of the gospel, you're essentially saying that you have faith in yourself to save yourself. But James says the gospel is what saves you, not yourself. Your anger won't save you, but the gospel will save you from your anger. And from your sin. So humbly accept it. Now what does that look like? James goes on to say this in verses 21 through 25. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently at the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, 
They will be blessed in what they do. So James has just told us that listening to the gospel is what spurs us on to righteousness. And now he says, speaking of the gospel, don't just listen to it. Don't just hear it. Do it. When we practice the gospel, we're humbly accepting it. And I think within the church, the church at large, there's there's this idea that if we just pray enough or read our Bible enough, that we'll grow spiritually. And there's a great deal of truth to that. Prayer changes you, and so does the reading of God's Word. But James says, you can listen to the gospel, but if you don't put it into practice, then you completely miss what the gospel is all about. And you see this essential truth all throughout Scripture. I mean, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 11. He says, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And the Apostle Paul says this. He says, It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And as much as we want to criticize those Pharisees for the way that they treated Jesus and the way that they twisted the law of God, they still did things that honored God. Jesus says this in Matthew 23. He says, The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they sit in Moses' seat and they're worthy of respect. So do as they say, but not as they do. So what James says is this, Don't listen to the word and deceive yourselves. And he says that because I think we have a tendency in the modern church to think that since we've accepted Jesus, then everything's okay. We're okay with God. That since we believe the right things, that Jesus died and he rose again for our sins, that we're okay with God and we're eternally secure. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a Calvinist through and through, okay? I believe that once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your salvation is secure. But if you walk away from God, you probably weren't really saved in the first place. Listen to what Peter has to say here in 2 Peter He says, for this very reason, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, if you want assurance of your salvation, keep growing in your faith and adding to your faith. Because if you don't keep going and walking with God, you're just like the person who takes a look at himself in the mirror, walks away, and forgets what he looks like. And that's James's point, okay? You're going to deceive yourself into thinking you're something you're not if you're not attentive to the gospel and to the work that God is doing within you. You're going to forget all the good stuff that God has done for you in Christ if you don't keep doing the stuff that God has for you. So that's what James means when he uses the analogy of a man looking into the mirror and forgetting what he looks like. You forget the gospel when you don't practice the gospel. 
And James goes on to say, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. And it's pretty straightforward. The perfect law that gives freedom is the gospel. And if you saturate yourself in the gospel, not just the theology of of the gospel, but the practical shape and scope of the gospel, then you'll be blessed in what you do. And the flip side of this is that if you know the gospel but don't do it, then you're missing out on some pretty rich blessings that God has in store for you. So to recap, James is saying that we need to humbly accept the gospel, which is implanted within us, by practicing the gospel. And he goes on to say this in verse 26. He says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Okay, so James uses the term religion in these verses, which is a word that few Christians like using when we describe our faith. For many of, many of us, Christianity is a relationship rather than a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus rather than a religion about or based on Jesus. But I'm going to contend that it's really both. See, a couple of years ago, there was this dude that came out with the spoken word performance on YouTube where he talked about how Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. Why? Because Christianity is a relationship between God and his people. It's not some sort of religion where we try and work our way to God. It's a relationship based on love. And that video went viral, okay? But it wasn't without controversy, A lot of folks took serious issue with this dichotomy that he placed between a relationship and religion. And my guess is if I surveyed each of you, I'd get a different answer from each of you about that video. But I don't think there needs to be a dichotomy. I think Christianity is both a a relationship and a religion. Why? Because yes, we have a personal relationship with God through Christ but we also worship him and serve him because he's God. He's simultaneously our best friend and the one whom we worship and give our lives to. If Christianity were just a relationship, I wouldn't have to worship God because he'd be my best friend. You don't worship your best friend. And if Christianity were just a religion, I'd have to earn God's favor through works without really ever having to know him. So religion isn't a bad thing. It becomes bad when doing stuff is the totality of your devotion to God. So I believe that Christianity is both a relationship and a religion because Jesus is our best friend who saved us from death. And as a result, we worship him and serve him with everything that we are. And not only this, but James uses the, the word, uh, the Greek word, threskeia. Can you say it? Threskeia? Say it again. Okay, good. You guys are Greek scholars already. And that word literally means your worship or your devotion to God. So, so for James, he has no problem referring to the Christian faith as religion. But here's where he has a problem, okay? James says, if you consider yourself a religious person meaning you worship God and you serve God and you talk a lot, your religion is worthless. Now, I'm going to hate on my fellow extroverts out there a little bit, okay? We like to talk a lot, okay? 
When I was growing up, I'd be exhorted by my classmates to shut up. And I often get that exhortation from my wife on occasion as well. You see, the Bible doesn't have many good things to say to people who talk a lot. Just read through Proverbs 10. I mean, seriously, when you, when you get the chance, read through Proverbs 10 and 11, okay? It's, it's pretty harsh, okay? But here, here are my favorites, okay? It says, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who, who restrains his lips is wise. Here's another one. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. And the one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. And there are a bunch of other exhortations to keep our speech pretty limited. And I think that's why James begins this passage by saying to everyone that they should be quick to listen because our impulse is usually to talk everyone's ear off. But why does James say that your religion is, is worthless if you can't keep control of your tongue? I mean, that's, that's pretty harsh. I think what James is saying here, based on how the text kind of reads in the Greek and in the context of it all, is that our faith is worthless if it's all talk. What he's saying is that if you think you're religious, but your faith is simply something that you talk about, then you're deceiving yourself. And James's fear in this passage is that people will deceive themselves into thinking that they are right with God when they're actually not. So if your faith is all words, then you deceive yourself into thinking that you're okay with God when you're probably not. And James goes on to say this in verse 27, a verse that we all know and quote all the time. He says, Religion that our God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So good religion isn't just about believing or talking about the right things. It's doing the right things. James could have said that pure religion, pure and faultless religion before God is this, that you read your Bible and you pray every day and you grow, grow, grow. Okay? He could have said that pure religion is dressing the right way and acting the right way and talking the right way. No, he says it's looking after those who are the least of these and not conforming to the pattern of the world. And what's fascinating about this verse is that it parallels something that God told Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 1. And and in that chapter, God says that he's finished, he's done with Israel's vain worship. And he says this, that Israel needs to get their act together. They need to wash their hands clean. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. He doesn't say he wants more animal sacrifices. He doesn't say that he wants his people to just keep praying or singing more psalms. He wants them to do the stuff that they're supposed to be doing as his people. And James exhorts us to practice this pure and faultless religion. And he outlines two specific ways to do this is to care for widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being influenced by the ways of the world. So to care for widows and orphans in their distress is pretty straightforward. We're supposed to look after people who can't look after themselves. So many families in our church have made a bold commitment to caring for orphans. I see so many of people who are living out this command. Our God is a father to the fatherless. And when we participate in caring for orphans, we're participating in the very act of God. 
And James says that we also need to take care of widows, those who have lost their husbands. Why? Because God cares for them as well, and they need help. So James says that pure and faultless religion before God looks a lot like helping widows and orphans in times of distress. But he also says this peculiar thing. He says that pure and faultless religion before God means keeping yourself from being polluted by the world. Now you look at that and you think, yeah, it means, you know, I'm not going to sin. And I think it's pretty straightforward. But I think James is getting at something, you know, possibly a little more complex than it traditionally reads. What James is saying is that we should avoid getting caught into the patterns of this world that lead us away from the things of God. There are certain patterns in this world that run contrary to the patterns of God. And when I say patterns, I really mean idolatry. The world pushes idolatry on us wherever we go. We hear voices that distract us from the one true, pure voice of the one true God. And what James is saying is that we need to keep ourselves from those influences, from those voices. And a lot of times... We decry all different kinds of sins in the church, porn, lust, greed, violence, without looking at the root problem. It's idolatry. It's worshiping the wrong God. So pure and faultless religion is to care for people and to seek the betterment of others in this world while not conforming to the ways of this world. So let me summarize James's argument in this passage. He's arguing that you need to continue growing in righteousness because that's the will of God. And the word, the truth, the gospel that you've heard, it can't be locked up within your heart. It has to work itself out into the way that you live your life. And the way you live your life should be marked by true religion, which means keeping your heart close to God and unstained by the world. And do all the good stuff you possibly can for others who need it the most. So what does this mean for all of us today? I think it means that to be a Christian, it means you're growing in your faith on a daily basis. Now that sounds like common sense, but in reality, I think it's something that we all need to hear all the time. Because I think sometimes our idea of growing in our faith is a little nebulous. You know, even for me, when I think of growing in my faith... I think of praying more. I think of reading my Bible more. I think of spending more and more time with God. And all those are good things. I think Christians should do all that stuff on a daily basis. But to grow spiritually means to grow in every single way. In other words, to be spiritual doesn't mean that you're always praying. It means that you're obeying what God has told you to do. And he's made it very, very clear what he wants us to do. He says this in Micah 6, 8. He says, he's shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. You see, our spiritual growth, it partly depends on our actions. Our salvation doesn't depend on what we do. We know that we're saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift from God. But our sanctification does depend on what we do. And as Tim Butler is going to say in a couple of weeks, we're justified in our actions, like it says in James chapter 2. So if you're not active and growing in your faith through doing the good stuff that God wants you to do, 
then you're going to get spiritually flabby. You're going to miss out on all the incredible stuff that God has for you. Yesterday at the inaugural Ideas Worth Sharing breakfast, Dr. Todd Keelock, who's sitting over there, you can bother him later, he shared about the benefits of being physically fit, and, and it really opened a whole new world to me. And Todd shared that sitting, you know, not doing anything for hours at a time, can actually lead to your death, okay? Over time, you run the risk of gaining more weight, getting diabetes, losing muscle, losing sleep, and in the end, sitting for long periods of time can actually cut your life short. And the same thing happens when we sit spiritually. If we're content just to relax on the stuff that we've done or the stuff we believe, we'll start to see all kinds of spiritual problems arise. We won't appreciate the gospel as much. We won't have that close relationship with God. We won't be growing in our faith. We won't be practicing that true and pure religion that looks out for those in distress. The less we actually do in the Christian life, the more we risk falling away from God. Look at how we treated Israel in Isaiah chapter 1. God demands us to be active participants and the redemption of the world through doing the good stuff that he's commanded us to do. And when you take a step back from James chapter 1, you see that it's all about our sanctification. It's all about our spiritual growth because God uses trials to grow us in our relationship with Him. But we also have a responsibility to play in our own spiritual growth through not only just listening to the gospel, but actually doing the gospel. And as Christians, we're called to do the stuff, as John Wimber said. We're called to love people. We're called to serve people. We're called to take care of people, fight for justice, stand up for the oppressed, and speak the truth of the gospel, however that looks in your personal life. Why? The gospel is just too powerful to keep to ourselves because our true act of worship before God is to love everyone else and to keep holy. Just as John Wimber, we need to be about our Father's business and doing the stuff. And right now, we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, he did the stuff. He healed people. He cured people. He fed people. He stood up for the oppressed. And most of all, he gave up his life so that we may have eternal life. And when we take communion, it is a reminder that God calls us every single day to die to ourselves, to put other people's needs above our own. But this, this communion meal right here, it's also a reminder that he didn't stay dead, that he rose from the dead, and he gives us hope of that eternal life with him. And it's a reminder that someday this world will be transformed And he will wipe every single tear from our eyes. But for now, he calls us to be his agents of redemption in this broken world. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up here. And as we sing the last three songs, I invite you to come up here, grab a hunk of bread, dip it into the cup, and remember remember all that Christ has done for you, all that he's doing for you, and that all, all that he will do for you in the future. And I want to challenge you, okay? Maybe you need to take that next step of faith. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. It's the perfect day to know him. Maybe you're here and you know him, but you haven't been baptized yet. 
maybe it's the perfect time to make arrangements for that. Whatever the next step is for you on your spiritual journey, I want to hear from you and we'll walk together because God has called us to do the stuff as a community. Will you stand with me and pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you don't leave us without hope, that you've called us to be agents of redemption in this lost and broken and crooked world, Lord.